0: on today's episode joey's pht success story welcome to the podcast helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy this podcast is designed to help you understand this condition learn the most effective evidence-based treatments and of course bust the widespread misconceptions my name is brodie sharp i'm an online physiotherapist I was excited to get Joey on despite um, him driving for the first minute or so of our conversation. So you might hear a bit of uh, road traffic noises, um, but excited to have him on because, first of all, fun guy, uh, very passionate and loving life and just a different PHT background, I guess He can explain that in a second, but not much of a runner. Um, well, not purely in the running sense. Um, but not purely a gym goer either. And yeah, has a a really um, extensive and comprehensive story that sort of got him turning the corner and finally overcoming PHT. And so um, that's why I was excited to have him on. Probably goes to show in this episode that you can be an athlete, you can be a recreational athlete or competitive, or you could just be a sedentary person. These principles tend to carry over into any population. And like I say, Joey was really fun to have on. I'm excited to bring you his story. So let's dive in. Joey, thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for helping me out. <laughs> yes. Um,
0: I know you're driving at the moment and you're going to pull over soon. So um those who I might, am. people might hear some car noises and maybe some road rage in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's not rush hour yet. There shouldn't be any of that, but it's coming.
0: All right. Good mates. Well, um, one really interesting, uh, reason why I want to have you on is because your, I guess, athletic background, um, is quite different to the runners or cyclists, triathletes and that sort of stuff that I usually have on. Um, so would you mind introducing yourself and sort of where that athletic background comes from?
1: Well, uh, I, I grew up, you know, spent, I've lived in San Diego my entire life um, and due to weather, probably a lot like Australia, people are active year round. Uh, so I grew up playing the traditional, typical sports of uh, American football, wrestling, dabbled in boxing, things like that, and a lot of surfing and so on. So I'm kind of athletic my whole life or active my whole life um they got married had kids and just became more of a gym rat i was never um i was never a an endurance athlete though i never did any res- legitimate endurance activities um and then at 41 years old uh my co-worker who is a serious uh an accomplished endurance athlete uh had invited me to do something called a, a uh a marine a marine corps mud run it was a 10k run uh where you do a bunch of obstacles and and I, like i said i had did zero cardio i did none of that stuff at at that point in my life i was 41 and had just been going to the gym and lifting weights but i just thought how hard can it be mm-hmm. <laughs> so i went out there and i just about died <laughs> and i realized for the first time in my life oh my god i have no cardio and so i decided to take up running But because I also wasn't in the endurance community on any level, I didn't even, I knew nothing about all of that. I just thought to be a better runner, just put on some shoes and start running. So I started doing that and I just ran as far as I could, as fast as I could, every chance I got. And I got faster and I got, I was able to run further and I was able to run faster, but I also was just piling up one injury after another. And that, the injuries are what caused me to start trying to figure out, oh, why is this happening? You know, ITB was my first major issue, and that's why I started learning. Oh wow, there's a there's an art to this. Uh, duh! It turned, and I started learning. Uh, there's a process, uh, but because of the sports I was in before, where you just do everything hard, hard as you can all the time. I I even though I read a lot of this stuff, cheat running these things, trying to fix my ITB, I didn't really listen. I just still pushed and pushed and pushed and then uh and about i'd say about about five six years into it um i would be i guess an okay runner in the world of runners um i had you know running uh, a 10k at about a seven and a half minute pace and seven minute pace um ran a half marathon and but always hurting and about that time i was at the beach and i slipped playing with my daughters, playing a paddle ball game. And, uh, it's the first time I felt a, like a pain, like an injury to my right hamstring tendon up by where my butt is. And from that point forward, every time I ran, it would hurt. And, um, I, because I didn't want to lose my running conditioning, I never took a break. So I became Dr. Google and I started looking and trying to figure out what's going on. And um, my daughter, my oldest daughter was at UCLA and I had to drive two to three hours to see her regularly. And um, to I couldn't sit that long. I'd have to literally lean the entire way on one butt cheek. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but that's what I did to get there and um, never understood what was truly going on. I knew what started it, but I couldn't understand why it wouldn't go away. Um but because I'm hard-headed I wouldn't take any time off and I continued this years so it stayed the pain would stay or the inflammation would stay anywhere from a uh 4 or 5 on the pain scale up to a 9 or a 10 sometimes where it just painful and um I just continued for years and then about 2 years ago I'd say um I was trail running downhill, and I stumbled, and in the effort, you know, that kind of downhill, out of control, lunging, trying to, you know, if my arms are flailing, I felt the exact same thing happen to the left one, and I and I recognized it, it's an exact spot really high up behind my butt, and now here I am, both sides are messed up, and in that same effort, I re-injured my right. But now I added my left, which was new. Never really had the issue. And then again, back to Dr. Google, and that's how I stumbled on you. Um well, first of all, let me back up. I went got I finally went and saw a doctor for the first time. Um up until then I hadn't actually went and seen seen a doctor. So I went, they sent me to a um I forgot the guy's specialty uh and they gave me an MRI on both hamstrings. And then I got to talk to the surgeon afterwards who said, you've got this proximal hamstring tendinopathy. He goes, you've got some thickening. You've got some scar tissue. The right one has some thickening and some scar tissue and and things. Um, the left one was just inflamed. He had tendinitis and tendin- I, I I can't remember. I think I showed you. I can't. But I had two things going on in both of them. And he said i can get in there and i can um i can operate on both of them and fix them and you'll need to take a a full year off in the recovery i was like well i'm not gonna do that there's just that's not an option for me and he goes well the other option would be we can try something that may or may not work it's called prp injection um where i do what's called dry needling i'll just go into your hamstring tendon I'll poke a bunch of holes in it and then I'll inject some of your plasma into it. And that works for some people, not for others. It's worth a try. And I said, all right. And so that's what I did. on both hamstrings and a uh, word of caution. If anybody out there hears this and wants to do it, I opted to not use any, um, uh, anesthesia. No, not the, they have one the true anesthesia and they have another one that's, uh, like you just sedated a choke neither. And I would never make that mistake again. It's, unbearably painful. Um, but nonetheless, I did it. And during that process is when I really started digging for information and I found you, um, I found your other podcast. You have two, the one that was just specifically about hamstring tendinopathy. And I'm listening to it and you were describing for the first time I've heard someone echo back to me exactly what I'm going through like like a few things you said that just stuck out at me. like Oh my God, that's it. Um, the shoe off test, these, these certain things I was spending years doing, like, you know, I couldn't just kick off my shoes by putting one foot behind the other heel and do that. There's a lot of things I just couldn't do anymore. Everything you spoke about was almost like you're talking directly to me or read my mind. So I started, uh, doing some of those things and then realized after the PRP injections, I need someone like you who understands this injury to help me rehab. Cause I didn't want to go through the basically the geriatric ward of, of my healthcare center, which is not for aged. I'm an aged athlete is what they call me. And um, I knew I'd be treated like a convalescent person and I didn't want that. So I contacted you and we started building a program and and it worked. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think at the stage when um, it was like a week or so after having those PRP injections, and you said that the pain um, had significantly reduced because of those injections, but we were just um, now sort of rebuilding up to uh, trying to come up with a structure to, I guess, rebuild you back up to your fitness goals. Um, but you then mentioned, okay, I, I, I do high rocks, um, you know, courses. Um, can you just explain right. what
1: that is? So HyROX rocks is, um, because like I said, I was a gym rat, you know, doing, making, trying to make my muscles big, the transition to running. And then I find, I found this sport called HyRox. rocks. It's H Y R O X. It started out in Europe and it's what they call hybrid athlete test. They wanted to, the, the CEO decided he wanted to create a sport where you couldn't be, uh, like a, a little CrossFit muscly guy or, a really thin endurance athlete he wanted to find something that required an equal amount of both so it's an 8k run broken up into eight 1000 meter sprints in between each of those thousand meter sprints is going to be a a heavy um uh zone so like in one case it's a 360 pound sled push that goes 50 meters you run a thousand meters then you do a rower for you row for a thousand meters then run a thousand meters uh wall balls um with a 20 pound wall ball to 10 feet you do 100 of those which if you haven't done that just give it a shot it'll kill you um you throw the ball up to 10 feet and then run thousand meters so you have 10 of these um uh, one of them is a kettlebell carry you pick up uh, 32 kilogram kettlebells one in each hand and you uh run for 200 meters um and then again and you go for a thousand meter sprint so there are, there are physical strength tests uh, combined with running in the idea that you create the, the hybrid athlete. So I had, qual- prior to, right after getting in, I qualified for the world championship in 2021, but I got hurt, like I said, trail running, and that took me out, so I wasn't able to do it. So now my goal is to get back to that, which I've already qualified. I I competed in December. I took first place in my age group. And so now my goal is to compete as a pro, which simply means for high rocks, heavier weights. Everything's the same. You just, now I have to push 440 pounds sled. um, And I weigh 160. Uh, So it's, that's going to be a challenge. Um, Heavier kettlebells and things like that. But for the most part, it's the same race, just heavier weights, same run distances.
0: Yeah. Why I say that is because, you know, sometimes we were, well, obviously we work when working with athletes, what are their goals? Okay. Is it a marathon? Is it a, um, an Ironman? man? And you would, I hadn't really heard of high rocks and you were just listing off the list of, um, stages. And I was just like, this is so much work for your hamstring you got the sled pushes, you got the wall balls, and then you've got the sprints in between those stages. And so just looking at the amount of um, load that we need to get you back to seemed like um, we really needed to work very carefully with introducing a lot of these things. Um, I didn't want to put words in your mouth when it comes to the the outcome of the PRP, but um, I thought, could you share that? What was your your reaction like, you know, days, weeks, months after the, the PRP injection?
1: Um, Day, well, immediately after, I, I opted to drive there myself because I, I told my wife, don't worry, it's no big deal. And um, I had no idea. It took me, I don't know, 15 minutes to get to my car. Um, So short term, it was excruciatingly painful. The worst pain I had experienced. And that lasted, that level of pain lasted until like the next day, I'd say, and then it started to subside, you know, and, and became tolerable. I don't, I should have probably kept notes. I don't have a perfect timeline. Um, but the pain just, it, it, um, evenly decreased over, I'd say a week or two. I, I, I don't know if you kept notes. I can't remember, but about that, I'd say it was ready to Mm. to start doing some stuff, start doing some light conditioning.
0: I think with but the it, past yeah. clients, um, it's actually good that you had that outcome. I've seen, I, I think I might do a, um, a podcast episode on PRPs, um, but the like your uh, um, specialist said, like we're not sure if it's going to work or not and you, you opted for it, um, which I think is pretty good Advice because I've seen a lot of people have PRP and it make no difference. I've seen some people have PRP and actually increases their symptoms. And so there's, um, it seems like a bit of hit and miss. But a bit different to your initial injury. Um, Your initial onset is what we call like a a a bit more traumatic or acute onset of symptoms. It was more of a one movement lunge slide where you sort of felt something in your high hamstring where. Some other people's onset might be very slow and gradual where they just run a little bit more or run a little bit faster and it just slowly develops over time. So those two different onsets, um, which is why like every condition is different and should be treated differently. But yeah, nonetheless, we had, um, your PRP, you know, a couple of weeks later, we start working together. We start coming up with like a formula and a plan, um, was there, anything in particular that you found, I guess, different? Was there anything about the structure that you that we laid out that you are a bit surprised about? Um, can you recall back then?
1: Uh, I guess, I wouldn't say surprised because I'd listened to so much of your, about your book, and I'd listened to so much of your um, podcast. So I kind of, I, I guess it'd be like, describing how to make a cake right you could tell someone all the ingredients i knew the ingredients because i'd heard everything you'd said so i knew i needed eggs and flour and salt and i'm gonna (laughs) need all the things i needed but i still didn't understand how to apply it how to what what combinations how much of this versus how much of that how much and so that's i needed that and 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 as it applies to me as, as the type of athlete, I a 58 year old where one leg is, you know, 10 years of, 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 this tendinopathy. The other leg is one year and trying to get back. And so all those things I knew I needed tailored directly to me. And I, although I knew the ingredients, I didn't know how to apply them, how much of each, what the doses would be, or the measurement would be for each thing. So, um, you're able to, put that together for me in a very, very precise way. And I, I, I was yeah. very happy. <laughs> I'd say it,
0: it sort of challenged my abilities to structure in things as well. Cause, um, mainly working with runners, I'm very, um, like I've got a lot of experience with saying, okay, this is this first week. We won't do any running. Let's just work out some strength exercises and see what strength exercise you can tolerate, Once we find that out, let's layer in some running, usually some like really easy walk runs, then just progress based on symptoms, a little bit more running, a little bit less walking, a little bit heavier lifting, and then just sprinkle those layers in. Um, But for you, um, not only were we coming off the PRP, so we had to be very careful about how we apply load to make sure the tendons are tolerating that after that procedure. But um, I think we started off the first week... um, you know, we had you doing some like a high rehab day and a low rehab day. Whereas the low rehab day would be like more like body weight style things, um, short range of movement. But then the higher rehab days being more like your deadlifts, trying to go heavy um, but reduced range of movement, seeing how that was tolerated. And then once we found that layer, we then piled on top of that a walk run program, which started off with a lot of walking, not a lot of running, all really easy running as well, which, you know, you, you over the course of working together, it sounds like you were a bit frustrated about wanting to, you know, kick it up a notch, um, but slowly piecing everything together and making sure that symptoms were falling when within acceptable limits. Um, can you remember like in the first couple of weeks, first couple of months, how you felt, um, Your tendon was responding?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I remember that there were certain exercises that you can tell, I get maybe my gym rat years. I learned a lot. And then, you know, early sports, I learned a lot about how to, uh, assess my own body. I can just tell when things are working, how they're working. And so I was able to, when some of the exercises, I can immediately tell, Oh, this is going to be good. I can tell what I'm like, and some of them surprised me. The um, like, for instance, I had never done hip thrusts ever in my life. And in the beginning, like you said, we were going really light, and I was just doing uh, the um, isometric version. And I can feel. It was, remember, I think I told you I, it would get kind of hot, not painful, just I was like, wow. And but when I would stand up afterwards, I immediately knew there was a benefit. I can tell. Um, so. Early on I do recall certain exercises I can tell were I immediately knew they were working they were doing something good for me um, and then other ones I, I I brought up with you I was uh, worried about and what was great about working with you was um, you immediately would switch things up and kind of tailor them to things that uh, and that I've told a few friends about you and and that I'm not used to someone taking the feedback and redesigning uh, that the very next day or the very next week right there on the spot to give me the same volume of exercises, but in a different way. And, and I think that was really the best part of of the process, because like you said, it was that whole saying, trust the process, because a lot of times where I knew I felt better, but I wasn't better. And I wanted to go and test it, and a few times I accidentally did, but that wasn't deliberate. (laughs) (laughs) A few times I just misunderstood, and you were very clear because when I went back and looked at the Google sheet, it was written out there quite clear what not to do, what to do, and how to do it. Uh, I just, my, you know, my attention span isn't the greatest, or my attention to detail. (laughs) But uh, but when I did adhere to the program, I saw continuous progress. But like you said, I, I was so eager to get back at it.
0: Yeah. Um, There's a few things to unpack there because, um, it's, it's almost quite dangerous when you start getting improvements. I've done a podcast episode on this, like when, um, when getting better can be dangerous (laughs) and it's essentially (laughs) like highlighting if you have two good weeks, three good weeks, four good weeks of like almost getting symptom free, you know, people's mindset is like, yes, I'm back. Let's get into it. Let's grind. Let's work. Let's got, we've got these oh, races yeah. to prepare for. We've got world champs to look forward to. And then, yeah. you know, people just hit the accelerator and it's sort of, um, you know, gets them into trouble, gets them into a setback and then their mindset just plummets. Cause they're like, I was feeling so good. Now I feel like I'm back at square really? one. There's, there's a lot of things to a lot of the, the, the roller coaster of emotions to go through there, but Um, Another thing that you said was um, the ability to at least moderate a plan so that you're still really active, like in the early days, trying to be as active as you can be. um, Because a lot of fears for a lot of athletes is if I go to see a physio or a PT or a doctor, they're just going to tell me not to do the activity that I love. And that's a lot of the fear. They say, you know what, they're going to tell me I just can't run and I'm just going to ignore them. And so what's the point of even going and getting it checked out? But um, one thing that I try and do as a therapist is see, okay, how much can we get away with, how much running, how much exercise, how much gym workouts can we get away with and try and do as much as possible without flaring things up because one, that would raise the strength and capacity, but two, like your mindset, if you're if you're an athlete and you're doing a workout every day, even though it might not be as intense or as long as you want, we're at least doing something every day. You're still feeling like you're productive, still feeling like you're exercising and you're sort of getting that that endorphin hit and that rehab experience, that rehab journey is a little bit more tolerable. Um, But then you said that um, you know there were some hiccups, there were some flare-ups and you might not have adhered to the plan in some stages. Can you remember what components within that might you might've led you away and um generate that flare up
1: oh i know for sure what it is It's something about running what for me is fast i know in the world of runners this is not fast but in my world of hybrid athletes um that are a little more boxy and a little more muscular and heavy it's fast for us <laughs> so mm-hmm. when i picked up the pace if I, if I, on some of the, um, uh, these, uh, intervals, you call them strides, um, I was, if I, I misunderstood, um, or I didn't read what you'd written about the, uh, level of effort I should put into that. So I saw that as an opportunity to, like you just said, because you feel good. You're like, well there's only one way to know how far along I am and it. I'm just going to go, I'm going to haul ass. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and so I did. And, and I was like, it felt good to be, to be, you know, running at a, almost a max pace uh, for a short, even if it was a short duration, we, it was that thing where we, you know, we gradually build, build, build. And then for maybe five or 10 seconds, right in the very middle, I, I thought I was allowed, I, I had the green light to, For five or ten seconds just open up with everything i got and then slowly taper down and after i can't remember i did a few of those repeats and i could and then like maybe the third or fourth one i'm like "Uh uh-oh it's hurting and then one or two more of those after that i'm like oh shit i'm in trouble this this is this is hurting both of them are both tendons were hurting and then we spoke and you made it. He said, no, 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 you did them wrong. So, yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know. I know what I did. I know what caused the most. It, it was trying to s- sprint, trying to stride yeah. out before my hamstrings were ready. Because All the other exercises didn't seem, oh, well, one, um, the lying hamstring curls, whenever I would, if you know, the one where you lay on your stomach and you curl for whatever reason, that particular movement, seems to flare it up a tiny bit, not a lot, um, but no, and that, the running, running too fast, running slow at a moderate pace didn't bother it at all. It's just, mm. and yeah,
0: this is probably something that um, PHT sufferers can, um, t- can learn from this. When you run, when you increase your speed, the demand on your tendon isn't linear. Like if you progress your speed in a linear fashion, um, the demand that the the requirements for the hamstring isn't linear. It's actually exponential. So, you know, even if you are running at seventy five percent of your max sprint, and then you go to a hundred percent of your max sprint, you're like doubling the demand of that hamstring. And so that's why it's um, why you've had such a reaction to those sprints. And usually within a formula. Um, or like the benchmark kind of rules I I sort of lay out for people. Um, At that stage we were doing all slow running and then we started to piece in, okay, what does speed work look like? And so we implemented strides once a week, which would be four to six repeats um, of, you know, running for 30 seconds, like you said, slowly accelerating for 15 seconds. So you start slow, accelerate for 15 seconds. Once you get to your top speed, we you know, run at that top speed for eight to 10 seconds, and then we back off. But for in those early stages, that top speed, we sort of had a cap on at about like 75% of your max sprint, which, um, like you say, you sort of fell away from those rules or misinterpreted those and thought it to go at a hundred percent. And so that sort of miscommunication led to that flare up, which, um, took a couple of, um, couple of days, couple of weeks to sort of settle down, um, which sort of brings me to my next point. Like when you did have that flare up, um, what do you think you did well that brought it back under control? And how long do you think that sort of process took?
1: Um, seems common sense for me are, is I just did, I, I avoided the things that hurt. <laughs> and I, you know, we we did, we continued the the ones that seemed to like we at that point we were doing where we were we had incorporated my sled push and uh some lunges and some we're doing both romanian deadlifts and their standard deadlifts and i each one of those exercises that I, at that point before i flared it back up i could tell that those things were really helping i i could tell it not only could i feel it immediately after um for about a half hour i basically be pain-free which is weird it slowly creep back in but just so i knew those exercises were helping me and so i just got back to really focusing on those and try not to do the the well not trying i didn't do any more sprints i uh all of the running that we did from that point forward i just as you said just monitor it and don't let it go above a certain level pain threshold. And and I stuck to that and that, I think that's what made the most, the biggest differences.
0: Which is a good takeaway for most people. If they do have a particular um, flare up is okay, we need to understand what's currently causing that irritation. So we said it was the speed work, like um, sprinting at that hundred percent max during those strides. So remove those, take them out for a couple of weeks to let things settle down. Um, but like you said, you, you were quite in tune with your body and knowing what exercises actually felt really good, which turns out to be like the slow, heavy load stuff under, you know, certain, um, weights and certain ranges of movement and that sort of thing. And so we stuck to those and just waited for things to gradually settle and get back to baseline. And then we, um, slowly introduced those, um, that sprints again, are you back to strides? Are you back to sprints? Um, how are you feeling with those?
1: Yeah. I'm doing everything. I'm continuing everything as we were, as we left off, I'm doing the, I'm, I'm sticking to all the strength movements, all the, uh, the, the uh, compress or what do you call them? Not loading, the loading movements. And, uh, and then, but I am, I, I'm going to stick with the program you had, right? I'm not going to return to the way I used to run. I found out that doing these, like having interval day and a slow run day and then having some strides, doing that, I'm able to get the same running volume in a week without any pain. And I just did it. Uh, I've raced twice since then, and I haven't lost any of my, uh, VO two max, I guess you could say my, my, my output, my volume, my ability to either sustain a long run or a fast run didn't suffer at all by switching up the way I'm my running is going. So I'm just going to keep Keep doing that i'll do some strides uh once or twice a week i'm doing these interval runs i'm i, th- I probably you can run that way forever now because i it just feels good and and it and i'm not losing anything and then i'll do maybe one uh long really slow zone two comfortable run um and it's i'm just gonna stick to that and so when never... you say
0: the intervals the interval yeah. running sessions they walk run uh repeats
1: right right
0: with the strides, um, what's your current level? Like, so what, what does a stride session look like at the moment?
1: You know what I've been doing? I've been doing it by, uh, on, well, two. sometimes I've been doing it on a treadmill. Um, so I've been doing it by time on, on the treadmill. But when I'm outside, I've just been doing it by a fixed distance. You know, I just open up. I would just gradually start running and just open up i'm going by feel i guess i i don't have a set um distance for or 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 time i'm i'm just i want to feel the i want the foot turnover i want to feel the muscles engage. i want to feel the tendon work um, but i don't want to risk hurting it so i'm not doing a ton because a sport i do doesn't need it i just know that i need it for um health i guess for my for my my running fitness so i'm not having to have a, a, a structured strides i guess right now all mm. right i haven't been um if that yeah. makes any sense
0: but one thing that um i haven't really highlighted yet is um like throughout your process uh once we knew that you could tolerate some walk running then we we lay it in like different stages of the high rocks protocol like we had um the skier we had the sled push we had the wall balls we had sandbag lunges we had um you know the rower the farmers carry all that sort of stuff that were those stages in those events and so i think it was like every week or so we sort of just added in one station at a time just seeing how that could be tolerated and sort of progressed through. And now you sort of, like you say, you're now doing events, um, and going pretty well. I think, uh, one of my questions would be like, what do you think your weak link is or your weakest link is right now? Um, that's sort of, uh, you feel like you need to work on to get to your best performance.
1: It's still my running. Um, only because, uh, Again, I, the guys I'm competing against, they are lifelong endurance athletes who added strength to their. So, when you look at this sport, like I said, it's eight, it's eight, eight zones, and and eight one thousand meter runs. Those eight, that those eight one thousand meter runs take up about fifty percent of the total race time. So, most like the world champion in my age group will finish this race in about an hour and 15 minutes so about half that time is spent running um so if you could run if you could do thousand meter sprints if i could shave a minute off of each of my thousand meter not a thousand meter uh runs i i could win the world championship because my my strength events those portions i'm already on par with the world with the world champion um so i don't really need much there i need to be able to And they call it compromise running. So it's a transition. A lot of endurance athletes don't realize until they do it how difficult it is to go from doing uh, putting, you know, a 40-pound sandbag and lunge for 100 meters and then immediately get up and start running. And then sprint for 1,000 meters and then immediately push a, you know, 300, 400-pound sled for 50 meters and then again shift to sprint to running again and be at top running speed within you know five seconds you, you know what i mean you don't have time to build up that shifting of of anaerobic or uh, muscles uh it, it it is in itself something that has to be learned so i need to be able to get up to speed and have my top speed be the same as the top runners and these guys right now they have a uh, well, the best in the world have like most of the guys I beat, but when I'm talking about just the top guys in the world, we're talking they have they they beat me by thirty seconds to a minute on each of those eight k laps. And that that adds mm. up.
0: Um, I should probably say like I've got your program in front of me. The when we very first started working together was about August uh, last year. So we're looking at you know five months six months um and the progress you've made it's been great um back to competing you've got like your world champs in the on the horizon um and so things are going really well is there anything in particular um if someone is suffering from pht and they're really struggling to get in control of their symptoms or return back to their activities is there anything based on your experience in your rehab or any tips and advice you might have for them if they're, you know, finding that they're struggling?
1: Yeah, it's something I don't have, patience. <laughs> um, but, I you know, I learned uh, having work, you really do have to have a plan. I, I really, I don't think you could do what I did for all those years and just kind of go by feel and massage here and take some ibuprofen this day and heat there, you know, all these different gym, you know, they call it gym bro or bro science. Um, it wasn't working for me. It didn't work for me. I did it for years and years and years. And finally, you got to have a structured plan. Um, and I definitely think uh, those, those loading exercises, if I had to put my finger on one thing, I really think those loading exercises were the biggest difference maker of, uh, of all of it all we, everything i'm sure was a, an important ingredient but having a plan and, and, and being pretty religious about the the hip thrust the, the lunges the well we go through it later but the hip thrust the uh the two different types of deadlifts um and not skipping them and being i i really think that those those two those two things made the biggest difference for me at least i think
0: yeah i think patience is a good one um and like you say diligent of and consistent with the things that work well Um, you have a being an athlete you have a nice in-tune sense of you know what feels good or what's good for the body um but like anyone we can have our impatient moments and our frustrations and i think like we said um in this podcast earlier when you start feeling good, that's a real test of character to to still be patient when things feel good, um, because you know we're all about long term success. We're all about you know wanting to get six to twelve months from now and have a noticeable improvement back to your peak performance, rather than just having these boom bust cycles that a lot of people are familiar with, and then you know looking or being six to twelve months down the track and being at the same spot just because you've, you've been impatient, you've had those boom-bust cycles throughout that rehab process. Um, so yeah, trust the process, be patient, be diligent, um, I think is some really nice lessons. Um, anything else to add before we wrap up?
1: No, other than thank you. Uh, you extended my uh, competitive career because I was already thinking I might have to move into something like cycling or I'm very competitive, so I'd have to do something but I wanted to continue doing the thing I love. And I and I really think I owe it to you um, that I'm out there doing it again at, the, at a high level. So thank you.
0: Nice. Do you mind if I share your Instagram account? Um, I actually didn't check with you beforehand, but are you okay with me to share that? Sure. Yeah. So it's um, San Diego, Joey. Um, if people want to follow your journey and see um, how the world champs go and your races, and there's some, some good high rocks footage on there as well. Um, yeah, looking forward to personally following your journey and seeing where it takes you in the next couple of events, the World Champs and all that sort of stuff. And um, was really excited to have you on and a good different rehab journey to what is usually on this podcast. So thanks for coming on, mate.
1: Thanks,
0: Brody. Appreciate it. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me i'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes so open up your device click on the show description and all the links will be there waiting for you congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering pain-free future and remember knowledge is power